This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back one and all to Breaking Pod. I'm joined, as always, by Josh Goldman to talk about Season 4, Episode 4, Bullet Points. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well, Zach. This is the rare daytime recording of this podcast. We managed to sneak in a daytime record. Hopefully neither of our employers are listening. That would, yes, be, that would be not great. <laughs> I love a good daytime recording uh, for a number of reasons, but one of them is just that by the time nighttime comes around, I'm normally really tired and it's yeah, hard I was to thinking muster the, same thing. the energy to do you know, a, an hour long recording. So, And not just that, like the brain power to, oh, to analyze this properly. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how much more brain power I'm bringing today uh, in the middle of the day, but I guess we'll let listeners decide that. So we're definitely going to need to bring our brain power and, and wit today because we're talking about an episode that is not the best. It is very true. Yeah. We are talking about season four, episode four bullet points. Um, we were, we were comparing and contrasting before we hit record this one with the subsequent episode shotgun. And I think you and I have divergent points, uh, but only or divergent opinions, but only in the sense that uh, we, you know, we agree that both of them are very boring and we just disagree on which one is more boring. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, it's bullet points. Stick with us. Stick with us. Yeah, exactly. Cause, it, cause it will it, improve. Four, season four, episode six is great. So it is stick, coming. Stick yeah, with us. Exactly. Stick around. I mean, we were going through that list of the ringers best episodes and there are several in season four that are in the top 10 and there are several in season four that are in the bottom 10. So Season four is what we call uh, bimodally distributed as far as the awesomeness yeah. of the episodes. Uh, exactly. there, are, there are ones that are very bad or I shouldn't say bad. I should just say slow. And there are ones that are very exciting. So these are these are a couple of the slow ones, but that's OK. We're building. We'll get there. Uh, Josh, you ready yes. to start with today's two minute summary and then we'll uh, go through it. all of our normal uh, normal habits. Best scene, best yes, writing, et cetera. All right. So here's the two minute summary from Wikipedia. Walt and Skyler plan to tell Hank and Walter Jr. that they paid for the car wash with Walt's illicit gambling winnings. Skyler makes Walt meticulously rehearse their spontaneous admission of his problem. Hank tells Walt that he believes Gail was the cook of the high-grade blue meth and that Gail was Heisenberg. Jesse's increasing complacence leads to over $70,000 in cash being stolen from his house. Mike reports to Gus that Jesse has become incautious and something needs to be done about him. The episode ends with Mike driving an expressionless Jesse to an unknown location. All right, there it is. I noticed, uh, Josh, that it omits the part where uh, Jesse has $70,000 stolen, but then Mike goes and hunts it down for him and brings the thief into Jesse's house blindfolded and bound uh, as if he's about to be killed. And he basically threatens Jesse wordlessly that he's about to kill the man who stole from Jesse. That's a pretty, I thought that was a pretty important sequence. And so I'm surprised that it's, it's, it didn't make the two minute summary. What about you? It's definitely important because it shows sort of Jesse's, his, his sort of, uh, you know, ambivalence towards the whole thing. Like he basically challenges Mike. He says, I know you're not going to do anything. And even if you did, I don't really care. And I think that this is an important character growth moment for Jesse you know, in his path towards wherever he's ultimately going, because he he has reached this point of just sort of not caring about anything. And I think that that's a big point of this episode that's going to bleed into the next episode as well. And so to leave that out of the summary, it's not great. So I'm going to have to give the summary C minus. How about you? 
I'm going to go D plus for the summary uh, as I'm, I was rereading it as you were just talking now. And uh, it's basically just a sequence of otherwise disconnected or unconnected sentences that sort of pick and choose the most important parts of the episode without actually correctly identifying the important parts. So yeah. we already mentioned that it omits the, the, uh, you know, Mike recovering the $70,000. It also omits the fact that, you know, it omits the, all the drama from that scene in which, Hank reveals to Walt that he thinks he's found Heisenberg. I mean, it, it's a pretty dramatic scene in part because Walt is, uh, and we'll talk about this, Walt is forced to sit there and listen to a music video filmed by none other than Gail Bedecker. Uh, and so there's a dawning moment of realization on Walt's face as he sees his former colleague, the man for whose death he's directly responsible, uh, you know, dance on dance and sing on this, on the screen in front of him. There's a lot of drama wrapped up there. There are other important sequences that are just not wrapped up in this summary. So. I'm going to go D plus for both substantive and syntactical uh, reasons or syntax. Yeah. Uh, is, and is syntactical a, a word? I don't even know. Syntax reasons. I don't know. Maybe what I should have Could said. be now. We'll go Could with syntactical. Now. I like it. It's like a, a blend of we're tactical new and ground on breaking pod. Exactly. Syn- syntactical. Are you familiar with the term incautious? Because I've never seen that used before. I am actually. This, this, I believe. Okay. I believe it's a real word. Um, but, you know, I'm also the one who just said syntactical. So uh, let's see. Define incautious. It's not being flagged as a misspelling in our Google Doc that we're using here. This indeed is correct. Heedless of potential problems or risks. Now let's try defining syntactical and see what comes <laughs> up. Yeah, I guess the I guess it's mostly that I just don't see the word incautious used much. So to have someone use it in an otherwise pretty rote summary seems a little out of place. But, you know, if it's a real word, great. Good, good on them. Well, I'm happy to report that syntactical is indeed a word, Josh. Wow. <laughs> so what do you know? I'm a linguistic genius and I don't even know it. Uh, yeah. So syntactic go. is of relating to or according to the rules of syntax or syn- syntactics. And one of the variants of syntactic is syn- syntactical. But of Very course, good. what I really should have said is syntactic because there's no there's no real reason for the extra AL. It's just a variant of syntactic. So. Anyway. Well, we're going to end Breaking Pod and start a linguistics podcast. Yep, there we go. Perfect. That's the next. Uh, that's the next announcement from the Vernacular Podcast Network. We're starting exactly. It's called. It's going to be called Syntactical. <laughs> All right. So moving on, broader thoughts and themes for this episode, Josh. I mean, the, the one thing I have here is that this episode and the next one as well after this shotgun, both very very slow. And as we've discussed countless times before, this often is sort of a harbinger of things to come. It's the calm before the storm, and I think that's what's going on here. But a couple other things that we see going on. Uh, there's a there's a sort of growing a dynamic between Walt and Skyler that I think is really interesting as we see them build their relationship once again after it was all but broken and severed. They were about to get divorced, et cetera. Now Skyler is really coming fully on board. Um, and I think that's that's a really important thing. You know, we see that we saw that with the car wash. Um, she is going out of her way now to con the owner of the car wash. Um, and now she's helping Walt figure out how he's going to confess to Hank. So I think that's that's one thing. And then the other is, um, you know, this narrative of Hank. Hank's been basically sidelined from the investigations uh, because of his injury when he was shot by the the two brothers. And now he's starting to come back onto the scene. And that will, of course, you know, position us for a revival of this um, sort of cat and mouse that Hank is playing with this mythical man named Heisenberg. And he can never quite figure out who that is. But we see the beginnings of this again as Hank tells Walt that he thinks he thinks he finally found his Heisenberg and that'll play more, I think into the next episode. But I like how, even though this episode's slow, we're seeing a revival of some of these key personal relationships or interpersonal relationships that we've seen thus far in the show. 
Yeah, as we've talked about before on the show, these character moments between different characters, these relationships are going to be super important to understanding and to buying into what's going to happen the rest of the season and the rest of the series. So I think that even though this episode is slow and the, the next episode is slow, they're important in building those up because otherwise we wouldn't have the same emotional resonance when certain things happen down the line. So I think that's a that's a good point. Well, should we go on to the best scene, Josh? Let's do it. All right. I will let you um, talk about your best scene. My best scene is actually going to line up exactly with your best writing. So I'll just hold off talking about mine. So let's go with your best scene and I can play that for you here. And then we'll talk about why you chose it. Gail's murder is being investigated. Uh, Duh. And I have it on good authority that they found fingerprints at the scene. Not mine. We done here? No, we're not done here. What if they are yours? How can you be so sure? Because I'm here. All right, your brother-in-law's got such a hard-on for me. If the cops would have found my fingerprints with the, the cops would have found my prints within five blocks of that place, they would have picked me up by now. What about the casing? What casing is up? How many times did you shoot him anyway? Jesse, did you pick up the casings? Did you pick them up? No. So this this uh, conversation wraps up uh, just a few seconds later when Jesse basically offers to pay anybody at his, you know, very uh, not fun house party, at least in my opinion, to remove Walt physically from from there. I think he says a hundred dollars to anybody who can, you know, remove Walt and he throws him out the door. Now, Josh, why do you say that does not look like a fun house party? Well, it might be the trash on the ground or the the copious amounts of drugs that the people who haven't showered in days. I don't know. One of one of those things or the but music just totally blasting so loud. You could even hear the exact words being said uh, while yeah. Walt is talking to Jesse in the upstairs hallway. It's like there are no every morning in foxholes. <laughs> what? I love how every morning Jesse comes down and basically turns the stereo on. Yeah. After he slept and he's like, time to party. And then they all start partying again. It's so, so weird. Yeah. These, these, these scenes make me super uncomfortable because that's like my nightmare being in like a dirty place with like people who don't care about their physical well-being. It just, it, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. So yeah, it's horrifying. Very well- I just want to grab like a trash bag and just just start throwing yeah. stuff in there it's terrible and a hazmat suit to just make yeah. sure you're you're clean well, and the walls are i think at, at this point the walls are all graffitied now too right yep. it's, it's really yep. bad so the reason i chose this as my best scene was really because it's a really interesting dynamic between walt and jesse because walt as we've seen him do time and time again is very much in self-preservation mode he he's not thinking about anybody else he's not thinking you know, what What could the ramifications of this conversation be for Jesse? And you can see, you can't hear it in the audio we just heard, but you, when you watch the, the scene, you can see Jesse's pained expression. Like he's having, Walt is asking him to relive this beat by beat, moment by moment. And it's really causing Jesse like an internal pain. And it's just, you know, if Walt was really thinking about Jesse in this situation and not just thinking about himself, he might understand that this is, one of the reasons why Jesse's been driven to this life of constant drug use and partying. And what we're going to see at the the end of this episode is that, you know, probably for ulterior motives, but but Mike and Gus get involved with Jesse to sort of bring him out of this this negative lifestyle. 
And Walt is just totally blinded by that. And I, I just found it really interesting to watch Jesse's reaction, to watch how Aaron Paul acted this, because he doesn't have a lot of dialogue that he's he's giving back to, to Brian Cranston as Walt here. But just the utter and callous disregard for Jesse as a person in the scene just continues to speak to Walt's demise as a compassionate human being. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I will say, though, that you know, to Walt's credit, he does not devise at this point a devious way of getting Jesse back in line. And we're about to see in the next episode that that's exactly what Gus and Mike do. And so, you know, it, it's true that Walt is oblivious to Jesse's sort of descent here and isn't actually interested in, in Jesse's well-being. But at least he hasn't defended, like, descended so far that he is going to, like, in a totally cold and calculating way... Um, you know, completely deceive and mislead Jesse in order to bring it back. And we'll talk about that more in the next episode, but, but I think you're, you're right at least to pinpoint that as a, as a really good scene. Uh, should we go to best moment? Yeah, let's do that. All right, so mine is very short. It's just the, uh, the moment where uh, Hank delightfully, maybe I would even say gleefully, shows uh, Walt and Walter Jr., a.k.a. Breakfast, a.k.a. Flynn, a.k.a. Serial, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the music video from Gail Bedecker. Look at this guy. Standing there alone. <laughs> she is waiting. All systems are go. Are you sure? Control is not convinced. It's a cringeworthy scene, not just because the music video itself is super cringy, but also because we see Hank and Walter Jr. embracing this and laughing about it and looking at each other and making fun of it, etc. And then Walt is just sitting there on his bed staring at the screen like he can't believe that he's found himself here. He's, you know, this is like a ghost from the past coming back to haunt him because obviously Gail is dead. Obviously, Walt is the reason that Gail is dead. And now he has Gail singing him this goofy song uh, that's sung terribly. I think it's probably an original song. Not totally clear to me, but I think it's original. And it has like, I don't know, they're like Tagalog uh, subtitles to this. Um, anyway, very strange experience for Walt. And he really can't believe it. So he's just sitting there uh, you know, looking kind of aghast. And so it's, it's a cringeworthy scene for that reason. But the reason I like it as the best moment in this, in this film or in this episode is again, going back to my broader thoughts and themes, you see there's sort of rekindling of these key relationships or key dynamics in the show. This is where Walt realizes the ghosts from his past are coming back to haunt him, right? Gail is not just a thing of the past. This is exactly why he then goes to Jesse in the scene that we just talked about when you selected um, that the Walt confronting Jesse as your best scene. He's going to Jesse because this is, you know, the, he thinks that the DEA might have something or the local police might have something on the homicide. And he doesn't want that coming back to bite him. So this is a key moment of realization for Walt where he realizes his problems are not totally in his rearview mirror. Really interesting that he he didn't put two and two together before to think that the at least the local police would be investigating this this murder in cold blood, you know, and it's not as if part of Jesse's job was to to go through Gail's apartment and collect anything that might be incriminating. So it's a little it's interesting that and maybe he was just too wrapped up in other things. But the, the fact that Walt completely overlooks that is a little strange from his character perspective. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, I might even go so far as, as to say that's a nit that I would pick with this episode, right? Like, how has yeah. how has Walt not 
already thought through that? Is it is it really such a surprise to him that the police are investigating investigating this? That some piece of evidence could come back and tie Jesse to it, and by extension, Walt himself. I mean, it, it does seem a little bit short sighted that he has not considered this before. So I agree with you. Yeah. So my best moment here, just to keep things moving, I'll just let you play this little clip first, and then I'll I'll talk about why I think it's my best moment. Right here at the uh, here at the top says. Uh... To WW, my star, my perfect silence. <laughs> WW. <laughs> I mean, who you figure that is, huh? Woodrow Wilson? Willy Wonka? Walter White? <laughs> you got me. So the visual here, if you're just listening to this and you haven't seen the episode recently is that Walt sort of holds up his hands, you know, like he's, he's surrendering. And he, that's when he says, you got me. I, I just feel like this moment, if I'm thinking about someone cutting together a trailer of this season, this is one of the moments that you would put in. It, it's just, a it's just a, such an interesting moment. We had another moment like this. I, I think it was all the way back in season one where Hank said something to Walt, where he said, you know, maybe even you could be the the drug kingpin, and Walt sort of laughs it off. And here we have Hank again, but this time with something more credible, you know, his actual initials. And it seems like this is just getting closer and closer. Like, as an audience, this is one of those tense moments where you have to think that at some point, Hank is going to have enough information to put two and two together and see that Heisenberg was under his nose the whole time. And this is just a, such a quiet little moment, but also very impactful in the way that it's done. And I, I just love Brian Cranston's acting of the you got me because he sort of laughs a little bit, but it's also like a little bit of a fearful laugh. You know, if you listen closely, that laugh is like, oh, he's onto something here. He then later points out that the WW is Walt Whitman, which you'll remember was Gail's favorite poet, the learned astronomer. We we have a callback to that later in the scene. But this moment in particular, I just really like. Yeah, I totally agree. And of course, the Walt Whitman reference plays in very strongly in a future episode when Hank does finally put two and two together. But uh, I agree with you. Brian Cranston's acting here is really, really good. I mean, how can you, in th- through one sort of nonverbal grunt, and three words he conveys so much and i love that he also doesn't deny that it is him right he doesn't say yeah right just something like that or no way he actually says you got me and so you can imagine of course delivered with a different inflection and everything he could actually be telling hank you know i am the one in fact he is telling hank i am the one but he does it in such a way that hank doesn't it doesn't really even cross hank's mind but i like how as you're watching it you know we, we haven't talked about um Dean, I'm blanking on uh, the last name of uh, Hank Schrader, the actor, Dean. Um, Dean Norris. Thank you, Dean Norris. Uh, we, we haven't talked about how Dean Norris delivers his antecedent line, right? When he says, Walter White. And he looks at, he looks at Walt very seriously. And so it, as a viewer, especially a first-time viewer, you're like, wait, is he actually, is this a thought in his mind that it could be Walter White? And then Walt responds in the way he does and just kind of deflects with humor, et cetera. And it turns out, no, Hank wasn't actually being serious. He was just kind of ribbing Walt. But I really like the acting performance between those two, and I think it's a really good moment. So good call out of that one, Josh. 
All right, let's go to best writing. Um, we'll do yours for, we'll save yours for last because I think it's probably one of the best um, best overall things to talk about in this episode and it lines up with my best scene. So I'll just say my best writing. Of course, this episode features a relatively brief appearance from Saul, but you know, as is the case with uh, with Saul, whenever he comes in, it's a, uh, it's a fun, fun little conversation. So in this instance, he is, you know, he's listening to Walt vent about how things got so out of control Walt's not sure what he's going to do. He doesn't know what his next step should be, et cetera. Saul is saying, hey, my name hasn't come up in any of these conversations with Gus, right? Saul is, of <laughs> course, looking out for, for number one. And then uh, we have this little little a bit of delight in which uh, Saul is offering to connect Walt with someone who can make him disappear. You know, FYI, you can buy a paddle. This is a last resort back pocket kind of thing, but if you really got to protect yourself, uh, disappear. Poof. Poof. There's a guy who can make it happen. Call him a uh, disappearer for a substantial fee. And I do mean substantial. You and your loved ones can vanish untraceable. Josh, would you ever pay a disappearer to help you get out of a tricky situation? I mean, I guess it depends on how tricky the situation. Hopefully, I'm never in a situation like that. And <laughs> how much the disappearer is charging. Yeah, I really want to know but the substantial like a fee. Pretty I good mean, option. Saul obviously traffics in some pretty high fees given the amount of volume that Walt is pushing. So when he says substantial fee, are we talking about $50,000? Are we talking about... Two hundred thousand? Are we talking about two million dollars? I, I don't know, and it's not yeah. clear. He just says, and I do mean substantial. So it's interesting. Um, I just like that. I just like that writing. If you remember from if you if you have watched El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, this disappearer does show up in that movie, and we won't spoil anything here if you, you're not that far along in the series or the movie. But if you've seen it, you know who they're talking about. I believe the substantial fee is somewhere in like the seventy five thousand dollar range, which is a lot, but but not. I wouldn't call it substantial from where Walt's standing. He's making a lot of money to cook meth. Yeah, to be honest with you, I don't remember what the substantial fee is. I think we will find out the dollar amount later. Yeah. But, but I don't I don't remember. If it's 75, then I agree with you. That's not as as substantial as I thought. I would think in the in the realm of like two to five hundred thousand, but Yeah. The other thing you pointed out about Saul when he was asking about, you know, did my name come up? I, I actually interpreted that as when Walt was saying, like, I need to look out for my family. I need to look out for Jesse. And so I thought Saul was saying, how come you never mentioned me when you're talking about who you want to look out for? You know, as opposed to necessarily like, oh, this is has Gus brought my name up as someone who needs to be taken out. So I just, that was my interpretation of that. I could be wrong, but I just thought that was another humorous Saul thing. Like if it, if it was that way that... Saul wants to make sure that someone else is looking out for him too. Oh, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. So that's my best writing moment or nomination. I, I really think that yours is better, but for the sake of variety, I wanted to not just double down on that. So that's my nomination. However, my best scene, I did decide to double down with you in your writing section. So this is Walt and Skyder reviewing the script in which um, Skyder is trying to help Walt sound convincing when he you know explains how terribly, what is it? Ter- how terribly, Guilty and ashamed I am or something terribly, like that. Terribly, terribly. Two terribly's. Two terribly's, yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyway, we're, we're going to play a little bit of that clip here. Just just a par- portion of it. This goes on for several minutes, but uh, this is a little bit of the writing brilliance of this scene. Phrase it however you want, okay? You're jumping ahead. Now, and why, and why am I so ashamed? 
Do I really need to answer that? I was and am providing for our family. Let's just pick up where we left off. I'm, I'm weak. I'm out of control. I mean, this whole thing makes me look like crap. This has I'm, I'm... to be a warts and all story, Walt. That's how we'll sell it, and we both look bad. Oh, well, I, how do you look bad exactly? Where is the I slept with my boss bullet point? I can't seem to find that anywhere. All right, so uh, again, I shortened it for for length purposes. This goes on, and it's it's really really good to me. This is a masterclass in acting, a masterclass in script writing. This is two uh, heavy hitters in this show uh, going at it, and just ironically, it's two really really good actors talking about and arguing about how they can sound more convincing to to an audience. So I, I thought that was a, a fun little bit of a kind of added sort of um, third level humor to this scene. Yeah, two things I want to point out here. I'm going to amend my two-minute summary grade and, and downgrade it to a D, uh, D, just plain, because I forgot that they completely leave out the part where where Walt and Skyler reveal all of this information to Hank, Marie, and and Walt Jr., which is a huge a huge big thing because it's going to play it's going to uh, pay dividends as we continue on this season. But the reason that I picked it as my best writing is because as you mentioned, Zach, it's just a, a masterclass in sort of writing back and forth. But what I really like about it is the dynamic that is played between the two characters. There is a moment right after that that little clip we just heard where Walt says I'm sorry for what I've done to you. I'm I'm sorry. And the way that it's played, the way that it's acted is almost, it seems sincere. And the way that Skylar, Anna Gunn, re reacts to that, the way that her face looks is she actually thinks that Walt is apologizing to her for all that he's put the family through. But in reality, it's him just spitballing a new take on the script that she's written. And so that, that initial sort of relief that maybe he's apologizing for what he's done that is dissipated almost immediately. But just the the smart way that that's written and the way that it's acted is, I think, really tremendous. So this scene, which takes up about 10 minutes at the beginning of the episode, I think is one of the main reasons why I like this episode more than the following episode, because this has moments like that masterclass scene. You also have the the best moment that I picked out, which is, you know, Hank sort of investigating a little bit. So that's sort of my overall perspective of why I like this episode a little bit more than the next one, which we'll talk about next week. All right, perfect. Well, now we have arrived to the point where we can pick our nits. I already talked about one that you brought up initially, actually, about um uh about Walt, you know, being surprised that there is an investigation into the death of Gail Bedecker. So that's, I think, what I would say for this episode. But do you have any additional nits to pick, Josh? Yes, I have two nits to pick. The 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 pre-credit uh, roll scene, the cold open, as you will, at the beginning of this episode, uh, is another reason why this episode is called Bullet Points, I think, because we see a Los Pollos Hermanos truck driving through the desert. It, it gets stopped and robbed, and Mike is sitting in the back of the truck. And the people who are robbing the truck trying to steal the blue meth... I don't know, unload hundreds of bullets on the back of this truck and just tons and tons of bullet holes while Mike somehow miraculously survives with only a small nick on his ear. I just that is just so unbelievable. Yeah, that's a good point. I, and I forgot I wanted to bring that up as well. I'm I'm glad that you did not forget because you're watching these guys just 
unload. It's not like they just fired three shots into the truck. They're unloading. Right. I mean, the entire side is peppered with holes so much so that it's actually light inside the truck now because there's so much light streaming in from the holes. And then Mike just emerges unscathed and obviously shoots the <laughs> two guys. Yeah, it, it's a it's a nit to pick for sure. Uh, exciting scene to open, but but strange. My other nit to pick is small, but I think this is the the new parent in me coming out again. Zach, as a parent, you know that you're told many, many times, please do not put anything in the crib with a small baby because, you know, don't put any bumpers on the sides. It's just not safe for the baby. We get one panning shot past a sleeping Holly in a crib where she is covered in blankets. There are bumpers all over. It's just like, did none of the writers know that maybe we should portray this a little bit more realistically? No, I mean, this is exactly what we've talked about. People in writers' rooms don't have young children most of the time, so they don't actually know yeah. how to portray families with young kids. This is like this is a yeah, common mistake that we see time sack. and time again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would have been perfectly or, acceptable. You know, a, a tight little bundled sleep sack. That's how babies sleep yep. nowadays. Exactly. Well, that's all my nits to pick. So I think we can move on to MVP to wrap. All right, this up. great MVP tally. So who is your MVP for this episode, Josh? We've got a few candidates. It's a pretty slow episode, but there are a few that come to mind, and I'm wondering which one you picked. Yeah, I think I have to give it to Walt. I just think that he has so much to do in this episode. He drives the plot forward. And as we've talked about throughout this episode of the podcast, his acting is masterful in this episode. Even in something that is not the most exciting content, he makes it really interesting. So I'm going to give it to Walt Brian Cranston. Yeah, it's a good pick. He was my second choice. I think I'm going to actually give it to Jesse for this episode. Uh, for a couple of reasons, but one, he he definitely drives the plot forward because he's he's central to this. And he's central to sort of the unraveling that we see going on. Um, his problem is the central problem of this episode and the next episode. I mean, it certainly has spillover effects into Walt's life, but I think that's important. We see the continued descent of his life into just disorder and chaos. We see the frantic conversation between him and Walt in his house that you talked about at the beginning of the episode, Josh. Um, and I think Jesse does a really good job acting throughout. I mean, it, it, it's also at the very end of the episode, by the way, it's his disappearance that sets in motion a chain of events that are kind of like a runaway train at this point. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to go with Jesse. Yeah, so that leaves us with Jesse with 18 MVP votes and Walt with 16 right behind him. I, I guess I'm curious. Do you think anybody can catch them or even get close? Skyler's the next closest with 11. So I'm curious if we think anybody, I mean, maybe Walt Jr., he could sneak up breakfast. He could, you know, pull out a you know, winning streak here. But I don't know. It, it's going to be tough for anybody to catch catch those two. It will be. And I think that's sort of the nature of the beast, too, because it's those characters that have longevity, right? I mean, if you look at this list, we have Crazy Eight on here, Tuco, Jane. We have characters, Gail. We have characters who aren't alive anymore, so they can't win. The Fly, the fly also uh, not alive. Also not alive. Yep. The Fly is definitely, definitely dead uh, after a long and valiant battle. Uh, and, and, you know, there are others on this list who will not be alive by the end, right? So, you know, really, you're asking, are the few who will remain to the end, do they have a chance of catching up? And I would say, looking at this, no. I mean, I think the best argument might be Skyler, but realistically, Skyler's not going to catch Jesse or Walt. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Well, okay, one that's other all thing, I have for this episode. Yeah, one other thing I wanted to mention, we heard from a reader. We always ask at the end of podcasts for you to reach out. So please do, breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. We heard from a reader a couple episodes ago. We heard from another one uh, this time around, and I wanted to make sure that we mentioned this from Josh, writing from upstate New York. He says, hello, I know you had talked about why Gus killed Victor, and I don't know if you brought up that he killed Gus because it was to prove to Walt 
that anyone in the chain is expendable. I think Josh meant uh, he killed Victor, right? So Gus killed Victor because it was approved to Walt that anyone in the chain is expendable. I remember having the thought when I saw it and it seems plausible to me. I, Josh, it's a great, great point. And by the way, great name. I, I think Josh Goldman. Oh, absolutely. The name. Um, it's a great point. I don't remember if we, if we had said that before, but you're absolutely correct. I think, you know, the message there as Gus wordlessly is slitting the throat of Victor is don't think that you are above the law. Don't think that I won't go to these extreme lengths to also off you just because you offend me or anger me or put me at greater risk than I'm willing to tolerate. Um, and so I, I absolutely think that's, that's one of the messages. Uh, Josh says also, I love the podcast and I plan to check out your others as well. Keep up the amazing work. P.S. I wouldn't mind a longer podcast to pick apart more of the episode. I tend to have a lot more listening time in my hands now. Uh, maybe because like many of us, you know, your work schedule, Josh, is affected by COVID and everything. So I hope you're staying safe amid the pandemic. And uh, we're glad to hear that you're listening to more of the podcast with the time in your hands. And as we discussed last week, maybe we need to move to a three and a half hour uh, per episode <laughs> model, Josh. And that way uh, we can have lots more for our listeners to listen to. Exactly. But uh, probably not when we record during the day, since we will have to get back to work at some point. That is true. Yeah. Good point. Well, anything else to say in response to Josh's point about Gus killing Victor? Just that, yes, I believe that his point is well taken, that that everybody is expendable. But I would say just one little caveat is that I think Gus is very aware of who is slightly more expendable. Like, he doesn't go for Mike here. He doesn't go for Jesse or Walt. I mean, there is a chain, and Victor, unfortunately, was at the bottom of that chain for the people who were present at that moment. So, yes, everybody is expendable to some extent. Yes, Gus will continue to make life a, a living hell for Jesse and Walt in different ways. But in terms of actual life, I think that he's very conscious of the fact that he can't off just everybody he wants he he does have to be choosy about who he he decides to kill yeah it also makes me wonder how badly does gus want to kill jesse yeah right i mean if, I think, Vic, if victor gets killed badly. for that little that little mistake he makes uh jesse is just like he's just a walking talking liability in every sense of the word uh and it just it must just anger and frustrate gus so much that walt has been so steadfast in saying you can't kill jesse because we're a one-two pair he's my partner we're you know we come together etc uh but gus just has to that has to just really eat at gus i'm sure he wants to really just off off jesse in a big and dramatic way in the same way that he did victor yes but as we'll learn in the next episode which is a good tease to end this one jesse drives the forklift jesse drives the forklift yep All right. Well, thanks for listening to Breaking Pod. Josh from Upstate New York, thanks so much for your feedback on uh, Gus and Victor. We would love to hear more from other listeners. So breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. And until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Josh. Have a great week. Mm